Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Leadership affects every area of life. Leadership affects every area of life. So for the next four weekends here at Hope, this weekend and three more, we are going to examine the life of one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. His name is Moses. We're going to do a character study from the life of Moses and try to draw some lessons in leadership. Now, I know what some of you are already thinking. Some of you are already thinking, but I'm not a leader. So this series has nothing for me because my role is not a leadership role. So I guess I can just check out and take a month off and really not pay much attention because this is not... For me, Well, before you get there, before you land the plane and say this series isn't for me because I'm not a leader, I want to share with you three thoughts in beginning today that hopefully will help all of us lean in to this particular series. And here's the first thought. Moses didn't think he was a leader either. He didn't. As a matter of fact, the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today is Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And in Exodus 3 and 4, the, entire, the entirety of those two chapters is Moses basically explaining to God why God had picked the wrong guy. Moses, over and over again throughout these two chapters, gives excuse after excuse to explain to God, God, I'm not a leader, you have the wrong guy. By the end of the conversation, Moses even says this. Look on the screen, Exodus 4.13. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. At this point, he's not even offering suggestions. He's just saying, Lord, anybody's better than me. I'm not a leader. God, that's not the role that I'm to be serving in. Lord, anybody else just send them. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you weren't the one? The Lord's leading you to something. The Lord's maybe leading you to have a conversation. The Lord's leading you to serve in some type of ministry. The Lord's leading you to meet somebody else's need. And the first thing in your heart is, Lord, please send somebody else. I'm not the person. You got the wrong one. I I felt like that before. Matter of fact, when God called us to Las Vegas, I felt like that. September of 1999, God began to stir our hearts and call us to this city to plant a church in Las Vegas. And and the way that started, the way it kind of came to to, to the end was with Johnny Hunt, the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, calling me and saying, Vance, I believe God's put it on my heart that you're to go pastor a church that we want to plant in Las Vegas. And, And man, it couldn't have caught me more out of left field. 
And yet at the same time, Johnny was having conversations with the North American Mission Board about who he should be looking for to send to Las Vegas. They gave him three qualifications. Number one, he needs to be over 35 years old. Number two, he needs to have planted a church before. And number three, he needs to be from the Western United States. I was 0 for 3. I was 28 years old. I'd never been west of the Mississippi River, and I had never planted a church before in my life. It was so bad that after they had the conversation where Johnny told them who he'd pick, I just recently spoke with one of the secretaries who's still at the North American Mission Board. At that time, she was the secretary for an executive vice president. She went into his office for a meeting after Johnny explained who was coming, and we walked out of the room, and the executive vice president looked at his team and said, we have to pray for them. They don't have a shot. And I believe for 14 years we've been riding a wave of God's favor because they just keep praying because they think we can't do this. But I know what it feels like to go, Lord, you got the wrong guy. That is not for me. That's exactly where Moses was. And it's where many of you are sitting this morning. As you hear me say we're going to talk about leadership, you're already checking out, well, I'm not a leader. Well, let me read you what Chuck Swindoll said about what we're about to read in Exodus 3 in, this, in the life of Moses. Look at this quote on the screen. He said, it was just your common, ordinary, garden-variety day shift with the sheep. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Just another day at the wilderness office under the shadow of Mount Horeb. The sun came up, the sheep grazed, and Moses chalked off his 14,600th day as Jethro's assistant shepherd. That's the way God works without even a hint of warning. He speaks to ordinary people on ordinary days. You may be catching a bus tomorrow morning or climbing into a big rig for a 900-mile stretch of monotonous highway or facing a classroom full of students or slipping behind the wheel of your patrol car or lifting the baby out of the crib while another little one clings to your leg. That's your day. That's your routine. That's your mountain. And it may be that on such a normal, standard issue day, God will choose to speak to you as He has never spoken before. It may be the day when He communicates to you something great on His heart, something that pertains to your destiny. I don't know where you are today. Maybe this is just another Sunday. Just a regular, ordinary, routine day. And you're here knowing we're talking about leadership, already thinking this doesn't apply to you. And maybe today, God's going to speak to you. Maybe in this series, God's going to make himself known to you like he never has before. Exactly where Moses was. Moses thought, I'm not a leader. He can't be talking to me. God, you have dialed the wrong number today. Let me give you a second thought while we can all lean in. Leadership is not what you think it is. We hear the phrase leadership and we immediately begin to run to all the definitions out there that explain what leadership is. There's a volume of books unpacking the principle of leadership. But I read something this week by John Maxwell that I want you to see on the screen that I thought was a profound statement about leadership. Look what he said. Leadership is not about titles, positions, and flowcharts. 
It's about one life influencing another. At its core, that's what leadership is about. And here's the reality. Everybody in this room influences somebody else. We all have influence in the lives of other people. Now, it looks differently, but we all influence others. Some of you have influence or leadership in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex where you live. You're a leader, and you have influence with your neighbors. Some of you, it's in a classroom as a teacher or an educator or maybe a student who's taken some kind of role, and you're, you're influencing the lives of other students. For some of you, it's on a sports team. You have influence in the lives of other people. For some, it's in the home. As a mom or as a dad, you have influence in the lives of other people. All of us have influence in other people's lives. And so for that reason, these principles about how Moses influenced other people are significant to all of us. Let me give you a third reason we should all lean in and listen to these principles in this series. Number three, we all follow leaders. We all follow leaders. We need to be sure we're following the right kind of leaders. As we unpack this series, we're going to reveal some characteristics that you and I should be looking for in those that we choose to follow. And let me just say to you up front, if the things that we unpack in Scripture do not characterize those whom you would call your leaders, let me challenge you, find some new leaders. Find some new ones. Let me show you the characteristics that we're going to unpack in these four weeks. I'm going to give you kind of an overview. Number one, leaders grow in character. Number two, leaders lead courageously despite the challenges ahead. Number three, leaders receive counsel and share responsibility. And number four, leaders develop new leaders. All four of these principles, all of these life lessons in leadership are going to come from the life of Moses, and we're going to be unpacking them over these four weeks. And we need to make sure that the leaders that we are following demonstrate these kinds of biblical characteristics. So with that, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start early in the life of Moses, kind of early on his journey, and jump in here in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read some verses there, but before I do, I need to give you a quick backstory of Exodus chapters 1 and 2, because a lot has happened to get us to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 1, we find the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, living under captivity in the land of Egypt. The people of Israel, Moses' people, are a a people that are enslaved in Egypt. Egypt is being built on the backs of the slave labor of the Israelites. But the nation of Israel, the Israelite people inside of the, 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 the rule of Egypt were growing. They were honoring the biblical principle of be fruitful and multiplying. And the the people, the Hebrew people, were beginning to outnumber the Egyptian people. And to the point that the Egyptians said, hey, wait a minute, this may not be good. If there are captives and there's more of them than there is of us, we need to do something. And so Pharaoh passed a law that all of the sons born to Hebrew women were to be executed. Well, Moses' mother, when Moses was born decided that she would not heed the law of Pharaoh 
but she would spare the life of her son. And she created a basket made out of reeds, and she placed Moses in this basket, and she hid Moses along the reeds on the banks of the Nile River. And as God would have it, there was one of Pharaoh's daughters was down bathing in the Nile River, and she saw Moses, this little baby, in this basket, and she picked up Moses and immediately just fell in love with this little baby boy. She took him home into the household of Pharaoh, and Moses was raised as a son of an Egyptian Pharaoh, raised in, in, in the household of the Pharaoh there in Egypt. Now, all the while, he's a Hebrew, he's of the people of Israel, but he's raised as an Egyptian until he He's 40 years old. At 40 years old, Moses sees some of the Hebrew people being abused by the Egyptians. And something just clicks inside of him. And out of anger, Moses goes after this Egyptian who is beating these Israelites. And he kills the Egyptian. And the story tells us that Pharaoh found out. And he then began to pursue Moses. And Moses runs from Egypt to the backside of the Midian Desert. In the Midian Desert, Moses meets a man by the name of Jethro, who's a shepherd. And Moses actually falls in love and marries one of Jethro's daughters, Zipporah. And for 40 years, Moses is just a shepherd under the leadership of Jethro on the backside of the Midian desert in contact with no Hebrews, in contact with no Egyptians, minding his own business. And then you get to chapter 3. So now Moses is 80 years old. Let that sink in for a moment. Most of what we know that was accomplished through the life of Moses, and let me just say it was some pretty significant stuff. They've made entire movies about it. Most of what happened through Moses' life happened after Moses was already 80 years old. Exodus chapter 3, let's pick it up. Verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. It's what he'd been doing for 40 years. And he led the flock to the west side. It literally is the back side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Who is this angel of the Lord? Well, we don't know for sure. My conviction, you got to establish your own, but my conviction is that every time you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it is an Old Testament appearance of the person of Jesus Christ himself. Let me tell you why I believe that. There are clues throughout the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord speaks as God. The angel of the Lord identifies himself with God. The angel of the Lord exercises the responsibilities of God. Those who saw the angel of the Lord often said, I have seen the Lord, God himself. And appearances of the angel of the Lord cease when Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament. Now, there are still appearances of angels in the New Testament, but never again the angel of the Lord. Why? Because Christ has come. I believe my conviction is that every time you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's, a, it's, an, it's an Old Testament manifestation of the person of Jesus Christ himself. You get to establish your own conviction and be wrong if you so choose, but that's mine. 
Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. The angel of the Lord. I believe Jesus is appearing to Moses right here. The angel appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, hmm, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I now have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. God speaks to Moses. I want to pull three lessons out of these two chapters. We're going to kind of read some of the rest of it as we go through the morning. But I want to pull three lessons out of these that I think are applicable as leaders. Here's the first one. Leaders listen for the voice of God. Leaders listen for the voice of God. In verse 4, the Bible says God called him. It's a word that means to summon. It's a word that means to invite or to call. The Bible says that Moses responded by saying, here I am. That's a phrase that, that expresses strong feeling. You remember growing up, when I was a kid growing up in school in Alabama... The, the way it would always happen on day one of class, and then usually every day is kind of the way it started in homeroom, what we called it. The teacher would take roll. They would take out the classroom roll, and they'd just start going down the names, calling out everybody's name. And when they called out your name, you were supposed to say what? Here, right? Or present, right? Here. It's a way to respond when somebody calls you. And then there was always that guy in the class, you know, the teacher would call his name, and he'd be like, oh, here, here, teacher, I'm here, right? And you always thought, man. Stop the red Kool-Aid. Just chill out, right? You, no more caffeine for you, buddy. Well, that's really the implication of this word. God called Moses. God called to him from the bush. And the Bible says, we kind of read it in English, and it sounds kind of casual. Here am I. But it's really that idea of emotion. It's, it's here, Lord. I'm here. I'm here. I'm listening. God spoke, and Moses was listening. And here's what I wrote down. The incredible story of Moses and his influence in the world began in a simple moment of listening to the voice of God. It didn't start in a strategy session with Moses on a whiteboard trying to come up with some great thing he could do for God. Think about all that God used Moses to do. The law of God. The tabernacle, the temple. All of those principles that have permeated societies and histories of civilizations. And yet it all started 
with Moses simply listening to the voice of God. It makes me ponder the question, what have I missed out on? What have I missed out on? Because I don't simply listen for God's voice to speak into my life. To be used of God to influence other people demands faith. Let me read you a couple of verses about faith. Hebrews chapter 11, look what it says. And without faith, it is, read it out loud, impossible to please Him. The word impossible is a compound word. It takes the word without and the word to be able and puts them together. He says, without faith, you and I do not have the ability to please God. Look at Romans 10, 17. So what is faith then? Look what he says. So faith comes from, say it out loud. Say it again. And hearing by thee, say it out loud. Word of Christ. You hear what he says there? It's not faith until you hear God speak. There are sometimes I hear people say, or I hear leaders say this, well, we're not real sure what God wants us to do, so we're just going to step out in faith. Listen, that is not faith, it is foolishness. It's presumption on God, and it's a dangerous way to live your life. The Bible says it's not faith until I hear God speak into my life. If I am going to be used by God to influence or lead other people, I must be intentional about pursuing God's presence that I may hear His voice. Listen to another quote by Chuck Swindoll. Look on the screen. He doesn't speak vocally from heaven. Shouting down his word at you. He uses his book. He uses his people. And he even uses the events in your life. And through the blending of those unusual events, he says, listen to me. Pay attention. And I will speak to you. Answer my call and I will use you. All that is needed is a hushed spirit. And a listening heart. Moses possessed both of these. Therefore, he heard the voice of God. Leaders, listen for God to speak. Are you listening? Are you pursuing his presence? That God may speak in... You say, well, Pastor, that's, that's a bull. How does God speak into your life? Well, there are many ways God speaks. But, but what I want to do is, from my personal experience, give you the two ways that He most often speaks into my life. Okay? Just to kind of help you. Again, hear me clearly. This is my experience. I'm not telling you this is the only way God speaks. From my experience, over almost 30 years of walking with Jesus, there are two primary ways that he speaks into my life. Number one, he uses his word and prayer. God speaks into my life by using his word. As I give time to prioritize God's word and prayer in my life, God speaks. This happens Privately in devotional life, it happens publicly as we sit under the Word of God. But God uses His Word to speak into my life. 
told you a moment ago how I felt so unqualified in September of 1999 when I sensed the Lord leading us to Las Vegas. Well, let me tell you how it started. Some of you know this story. I'm minding my own business. I'm sitting in my living room in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm having my quiet time. I'm just reading the Bible. It was a regular, ordinary, run-of-the-mill day. I didn't wake up that day seeing lightning flash from heaven. I didn't wake up seeing stars out over the horizon thinking this is going to be a day I get a word from God. I wasn't feeling anything tingle up and down my spine. I didn't have out a whiteboard trying to dream up some great plan where I could do something great for God. I was sitting in my living room minding my own business with a Bible open in my lap reading Luke chapter 4, and I got to the 43rd verse. And I read this verse. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And as soon as I read it that morning, it wasn't an audible voice, but it felt louder than that. It was like the Holy Spirit of God reached up and grabbed me by the ears, pulled me down into that verse and said, son, this is for you. And I just sensed in that moment that God was going to be reloading, re- relocating my family somewhere in the world to get in on his activity in another city. I got my wife. We got on our knees together. We said, Lord, yes, because the reality is Lord and anything but yes don't go together. That's going to hit some of you at lunch. You can go, oh, yeah. We said, Lord, yes, we don't know where, we don't know when. God, we don't even know what. But the answer is yes. Two weeks later, Johnny Hunt contacts us, says we're starting a church in Las Vegas. God's put on our heart. You're going to be the pastor of that church. God fills in the blank with Las Vegas, and the rest is history. Fifteen years we've been here now. The Lord's done things far beyond anything we could have ever asked, thought, or imagined. When you start with 18 people in your living room, sitting on sofas, and you look out at something like this, and you know that there are, Churches that have been planted all up and down the West Coast that were planting churches internationally. We're training thousands of leaders on an annual basis, seeing tens of thousands of people come to Christ. You just are blown away. But let me tell you what I've asked myself a bunch of times. What would I have missed if I hadn't been with him that morning? Because hear me, hear me. God didn't need me. God was doing this with or without Vance Pittman. God was doing this with or without me. It wasn't that, oh, well, you know, if I hadn't been with him, then, man, this wouldn't be here. No, God was at work. God was on the move. God was doing something in the city of Las Vegas. God was birthing Hope Church for his glory to reach that. God was doing it. But God loved me by his grace so much that he wanted me to get in on it. But it happened out of me being with What would Moses have missed if he hadn't been listening for the voice of God? And I'm not talking about one of these, all right, where, okay, I need the Lord to speak, so. I'm not talking about that. You're laughing because you've done it. Come on now, I have too. But that's not when, when I say his word, I'm not talking about. Well, it just fell open today right there. No, I'm talking about in the routine of you and the rhythm of your life, pursuing daily the presence of God, where you are carving out time to say, Lord, if you choose to speak today, I'm going to do the very best I can to lean in and listen for your voice. Out of the routine of that, the word and prayer, God speaks. Let me give you the second way in my experience that God speaks. God speaks through relationships with others. 
God uses other people to speak into my life. As I live out my relationship with Him in fellowship with other believers, God speaks into my life through other Christians. Which begs the question, who are you listening to? You see, Christianity was not designed to be lived out on an island. It was designed to be lived out in community with other believers. Why? Because often the way God speaks into our lives is through the relationships that He's given us as we walk with Him. Who's speaking into your life? I have people in our fellowship that that I do life with that that, that speak into my life, and I'm so thankful for them. I have pastors across the country that that know me well and that that I seek their counsel. I want them to speak, and we're going to talk about this in greater detail in in a couple of weeks when I unpack Exodus 18, and we talk about Jethro and uh, a moment that he had with, with Moses. But all of us need others. I had a moment here recently. I had some stuff on my heart a few weeks ago, and It was just weighing on me. I needed to make a decision. It was just asking God to give me some clarity, and clarity wasn't coming. And have a pastor friend named Ken Witten from Florida. And Ken and I, I'd shared with him what was going on in my heart because I just love him and respect him so much. And we were together at the Southern Baptist Convention just a few weeks ago. As a matter of fact, where we were, we were on the stage in front of 8,000 people leading a prayer gathering with about six other pastors. So we're on stage. I'm about to speak. And right before I walk up to speak, Ken just turns to me in a moment and says, man, God's put something on my heart I need to tell you. And right there, God just spoke into my life through Ken Whitten. But if I didn't have that relationship in my life and I wasn't listening to those around me, what what would I have missed? Because God brought clarity through somebody else speaking into my life. Who are you listening to? In my experience, those are the primary ways God speaks. So leaders listen for the voice of God. Let me give you a second. Leaders look for the activity of God. Leaders look for the activity of God. Look back at verses 2 and 3 again here in Exodus. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Every one of those phrases, the Lord appeared, he looked, and I must turn aside and see, all come from the same Hebrew root that means to see. Moses was looking for God's activity around him. And when he saw it, he took notice. I don't know if you've ever been through the study by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. But in, in Henry Blackaby's study, Experiencing God, it's a, it's a study that profoundly changed my life. It's about a 13-week Bible study. Matter of fact, one of the ministries of our Life Center is on an ongoing basis, we offer a study through Experiencing God. If you've never taken Experiencing God, I challenge you to walk out of these doors today, go to one of those tables, and sign up to take Experiencing God. It will change the way you see what God's doing around you. In that, in that little study, Henry Blackaby teaches this principle. God is at work all around us, all the time. And when we see God at work, it's His invitation to us to get in on what He's doing, to join Him. That's what Moses did here. Moses was living a life of listening to the voice of God, and he was living a life of looking for the activity of God. And when he saw it, he stopped what he was doing, and he said, okay, Lord, what are you doing here? God, what's going on? 
What can I learn here? How can I be involved here? It's the same model that Jesus gave us in the New Testament. Jesus, in his humanity, chose to limit himself to living in dependence on the Father. Look at it in John chapter 5, verse 19. Look what Jesus said. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do... Say the next word out loud. Let that sink in for a second. The Son, God in the flesh, can do nothing unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Jesus lived in dependence on the Father. As you and I listen for the voice of God, we're to look for the activity of God. And when we see God at work, we're to turn and take notice and pay attention and see what God's doing. Blackaby said it this way in his book, Spiritual Leadership. He said, ultimately, the Father is the leader. God has the vision of what He wants to do. God does not ask leaders to dream big dreams for Him or to solve the problems that confront them. He asks leaders to walk with Him so intimately that when He reveals what is on His agenda, they will immediately adjust their lives to His will and the results bring glory to God. You see, here's the reality. God is not looking for you and me to come up with a great plan or a great strategy. He has a plan. I'm going to say that again. He's not looking for you and me to come up with a great plan or a great strategy. God has a plan. God is on mission. He's just inviting us to join in what he's doing. His desire is that we pay attention, that we look for God's activity, and then we join in what he's doing. Leaders look for the activity of God. Here's the third and final thing where we're going to spend the rest of the time this morning. Leaders live in dependence on God. They listen for the voice of God. They look for the activity of God, and they live in dependence on God. That's the lesson where God is really zeroing in in Moses' life here in Exodus 3 and 4. He's zeroing in on this issue of dependence on God. Moses needed to develop in his character. Here's the point. When God spoke and when God began to use Moses, he wasn't a finished product yet. He still had some work to do. God was still at work in him. Meaning this, all of us have areas in our life where we need to grow. That's a good place to say amen. All of us have areas where we need to grow. And if we understand that, it changes us not only inwardly but outwardly. Inwardly, when we understand we all need to grow, it produces a deep sense of humility. As we are influencing and leading others, it gives us a sense. But listen, I understand who I am. I know the wickedness in my own heart. I know the weaknesses of my flesh. I know that it's only by the grace of God that God could use me to any capacity. When we understand who we are and who He is, it gives us a deep sense of humility that God is still working on us. But then outwardly, what it produces is a deep, uh, a deep understanding of patience towards others. Because here's what you know. They're not done yet either. Right? They're all the ones that you're leading, the ones that you're influencing, they're not finished either. God is at work in them. So when we get this principle of dependence, we understand we all need to grow. There's a deep sense of humility on the inside and a, a perspective of patience on the outside. I say it to our staff team this way all the time. Look on the screen. Leaders are learners. When you stop learning, you forfeit the right to lead. Leaders are learners. None of us have arrived. 
We're not done yet. God is still working. We are a work in progress. So we need to grow. And at this stage where God is growing, Moses is in this principle of dependence on him. You see, Moses made a classic leadership mistake. He thought God had a plan. And he thought Moses had to get it done. Classic leadership mistake. God's got a plan. God's called me. So now I have to do his plan. Leadership mistake. The reality is God has a plan. And God was going to accomplish his plan. He just wanted to do it through Moses. Let me read it to you again. Well, we'll get there in just a second. Let me show you a quote first. J. Oswald Sanders says this. All real Christian service is but the expression of spirit power through believers yielded to him. Dependence on him. You could, if you wanted to, entitle Exodus chapter 3 and, verse, and, and, and chapter 4, those two chapters. We could give them this title. Four excuses and a resignation. Because these two chapters, if you've been reading them, that's what Moses is doing. For the entirety of these two chapters, Moses is telling God why he's not the guy. And by the end of it, Moses decides, I better just quit. Let's look at them. Let's examine them just quickly. In Exodus chapter 3, start back over in verse 7. Look at Exodus 3 verse 7. Here's the first excuse Moses gives. See if this sounds familiar. God can't use me. I'm a nobody. That sound familiar? God can't use me. I'm a nobody. Look at it in verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen. The affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have given heed. You hear this, right? Moses isn't even in the picture yet. God says, I've seen it. I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. Is Moses in the story yet? Nope. This is God saying what he's doing. Verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them. God says, I'm going to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressed. You hear this? God says, Moses, I got a plan. Moses, I'm showing up. Moses, I'm going to deliver my people. Moses, I've seen it. Moses, this is what I'm going to do. Now look at verse 10. Therefore, come now, and I'll send you. That's the first time Moses even comes up. I'll send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, look at this. Who am I? God, I'm a nobody. Lord, I've been shepherding sheep for 40 years on the backside of a desert. Nobody in Egypt knows I exist. Nobody among the Hebrews knows I exist. God, I am a nobody. But look at verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with you. You know what God said? God said, You may be a nobody, but I'm a somebody 
and I will be with you. God says, Moses, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. Let's take a second excuse. Look down at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to go to the sons of Israel, and I'm going to say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What's his name? What shall I tell them? Here's his second excuse. God, you can't use me. I don't know enough. You ever been there? Well, they're going to ask me questions I can't answer. God, I can't lead this small group. Lord, I can't go serve and share the gospel in this ministry. I can't go up there to that prison and and take Christ. Lord, they're going to ask me questions I can't answer. Moses said, God, what if they ask me your name? I don't even know your name. Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. The Hebrew root for this word, I am, we get the four consonants that we use to spell the word Yahweh or Jehovah. This Hebrew root means to be, and the primary means, or the primary meaning of this word is to reveal truth about the eternal character or eternal existence of God. Here's what God says to Moses. Moses, you may not know enough, but I know everything because I always have been and I always will be. Moses, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Moses, there's never been a time when I was not. They may ask you something that you cannot answer, but Moses, I am the answer. You just depend on me. Look at the third excuse he gives. Look down at verse 10. Look down at, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 4. Here's Moses' third excuse. God can't use me. I might fail. You ever had that thought? I can't do this. I might fail. Look at verse 1. Then Moses said, what if they won't believe me or listen to what I say? God, what if I go and I can't do it? We won't take the time to read it, but in the next few verses, let me tell you what God does to answer Moses. First thing God does is Moses is carrying a shepherd's staff. God says, Moses, I want you to take that staff and I want you to throw it down on the ground. Now, that didn't take a whole lot of faith. He took it and he threw it on the ground. But what happened next takes a whole lot of faith. Because when he threw it on the ground, the Bible says that the staff became a snake. Now, it took faith for Moses at that point just to stay, right? Because when it became a snake, I'm out. I'm gone. But then it gets even more because here's what God told him to do. I want you to reach down and pick it up. So Moses, in faith, reaches down and he grabs that serpent. And as soon as he does, it becomes a staff again. And here's what's interesting. Gary Jasmine pointed this out in our teaching team meeting this week. From this point forward, it's never referred to as Moses' staff again or a shepherd's staff. Every time it's referred to in the, in the Old Testament... It's now called the staff of God. He was teaching Moses with that staff. It's my power. It's not your power. Then he told Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to take your hand. I want you to stick it in your coat. So Moses takes his hand, sticks it in his coat. He said, I want you to pull it out. He pulled it out and his hand was covered in leprosy. Moses, take your hand and put your hand back in your coat. So he sticks it in there again. He pulls it out and his hand's totally healed. And here's what God was showing Moses. Moses, you can't, but I can. Moses, you might fail, but I can't fail. I'm God. I have all power. I am omnipotent. There is nothing outside of my sovereign hand. 
Let's look at the fourth excuse. Go down to verse 10 of chapter 4. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Here's his fourth excuse. God, you can't use me. I have weaknesses. You ever said that? I can't be used of the Lord. I have weaknesses. I have limitations. Look how God answers him. Look at verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who's made man's mouth? You know what he said? Moses, have you forgotten who made you the way that you are? Have you forgotten who created you? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I the Lord? Now then go and I, even I, will be with your mouth. Here's what he said. He said, Moses, you may have weaknesses, but don't forget, my strength is made perfect in your weaknesses. Just trust me. And after all that, Moses is still on the fence teetering to the point where in verse 13 of chapter 4, he said, God, you can't use me, so I just quit. <laughs> Look what he said. Please, Lord, send the message by whomever you will. Send it by anybody else, not me. God, through this process, this conversation, overwhelms Moses with basically, here's the basic principle. Moses, whatever you're not, I am. And I have chosen you. So you trust me. And Moses became convinced. Look down at verse 20 of chapter 4. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. Every time Moses was in a tight spot, man, that staff was a reminder of the presence and the power of God. So here's Moses, 80 years old. All of kinds of excuses why he's not the guy. He's not a leader. God, you can't use me. And then from Exodus chapter 4, we read the next 40 years of Moses' life. How God used him to become one of the greatest leaders in all the Bible. And I want you to read the end of the story in Deuteronomy chapter 31. It's been 40 years. Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They've had the Red Sea. They've had the Ten Commandments. They've built the tabernacle. All the, all the manna from heaven. All the stuff that's happened over 40 years. And now it's time for Moses to pass the baton of leadership to Joshua. And this same Moses, who was all weak and afraid and all filled with excuses and couldn't be the guy, I want you to hear the way he finishes at the end. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, he said, hey, I want everybody to hear this. Joshua, you be strong and courageous. Something's happened in Moses over these 40 years. For you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall give it to them as an inheritance. How's this going to happen, Moses? Look what he said. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not Fear or be dismayed. Listen, when Moses said that, he was saying that with 40 years in his rearview mirror of watching the faithfulness of God be whatever Moses couldn't be. And he said, Joshua, don't worry. He'll be with you. 
He'll do what he said he was going to do. He'll do above and beyond anything you can ask, think, or imagine. You don't have to be afraid. You just trust him. By the grace of God, Moses became the leader he never thought he could be. How did he do it? By listening to the voice of God. By looking for the activity of God. And by living in dependence on God. Moment by moment. 